Hey there, I'm Joanne Tambrakis, and this is Marketing, Mindfulness, and Martinis. Unfiltered conversations, or as I like to say, opinions shaken, not stirred, on what's changing and what's not in business and in life as we enter into the next normal. So pour yourself your beverage of choice, and let's get to it. This is a very special episode of the podcast. For starters, I have never had three guests on at the same time, so this should be very interesting. But the real reason is that my three guests, who all happen to be sisters, are the founders of We Fight Like Girls, a 501c pending nonprofit dedicated to supporting young women with cancer. Cancer lightning hit not once, but twice in their young lives. Not only did they choose to fight, they decided to take their experience and what they learned to help others. And their story is what we will be talking about today. So welcome, Michaela, Marguerite, and Morgan Ricks to Marketing, Mindfulness, and Martinis. And there's so many M's in there, I don't even know what to do. <laughs> welcome, ladies. Hi, Joanne. Thank you. In full disclosure, I've known these girls since they were very little. In fact, I think... Morgan was like three years old or something like that when I met her, so, um, which is going to clue people into exactly how old I might be. But we're going to focus on We Fight Like Girls today. But if I am not mistaken, you all have day jobs. So <laughs> can we go around and hear what each of you does? And Morgan, I'm going to start with you to start. Sure. Uh, I work on the cash sales trading desk at Morgan Stanley Institutional Library. Aha. Who wants to go next? I can go next just to break it up a little bit. Um, I work as a school counselor in a middle school. And Michaela? I'm the last one. I also work at Morgan Stanley and I am a municipal bonds trader. I did not realize that you both were at the two of you, two of the three were at uh, Morgan Stanley. See, I'm we finding are. out all, the, all this good stuff. <laughs> so I want to go back to 2018. And what happens? And I'm going to turn that to Marguerite because it's kind of you were the center of everything at that point. Yeah, I was the one that I guess started this fun roller coaster of a ride that we've been on these past few years. So I guess it all started in July of 2018, if we're being specific. And I was kind of not feeling under the weather, but started to feel super bloated. I always kind of had digestive issues. So thought it could have been something that was um, due to that, but I'm also a smaller person. Um, and there was a point where it looked like I could have been a few months pregnant. So a little bit of a concern, uh, but one of my friend's mom is a nurse and I was over at their house one evening and was just like, look, you know, making a joke. It looks like I'm pregnant. And her mom was like, I don't, I don't think that's how you're supposed to look, especially if you're not pregnant. So she kind of propelled me forward and sent me up with a gastroenterologist. And I went to him to get checked out. And kind of from there, it all snowballed in a very succinct timeline. And I had to get a CT to kind of identify what was in my um, abdomen he kind of diagnosed it as something that was more so in the ovary zone of things versus the um, stomach area, if you will. So 
after I got my CT, he called me the next day and was like, there's definitely something there. I can't pinpoint where it is or um, what's it on, but it's definitely a mass. And I was like, okay, that's fine. I'll make an appointment with a gynecologist and we'll just put it, put it a month away. Cause I was using my mom's gynecologist and she could only see me in a month. And then, so my mom picks up the phone, calls the gastro guy back and is like, okay, but how serious is this? Do, does she need to be seen by a doctor? And the um, gastroenterologist had a daughter around my age at the time, which was 23. And he said, if it was his daughter, he would get her in to see someone immediately. So of course my mom's antennas go up. I'm still thinking we're fine. Like I just ate too much pizza one night or something like that. Um, but he actually connected me to my oncologist who is Dr. Charles, who works at NYU Winthrop and from there, I went in to see her and she could only identify that it was a mass on one of my ovaries. And then and my both my parents in my first um, doctor's appointment with me with her. And we all sat down to go over the unknown of what it meant. Um, and then one thing led to another. And next thing I knew, I had a surgery scheduled for August 20th. And they were going to determine if it was malignant or not, or if they could just kind of go in through my belly button and suck it out. And it would be great. I would leave the hospital that day, all things aligned, or they would have to go in and um, do a kind of like a C-section cut and remove the mask, which is what ended up happening. Um, but thankfully, since it happened so quickly, that was like end of July to August 20th was the surgery. So really quick turnaround. They did see that it was um, cancer and they took like other biopsies, but it hadn't spread, but it was only stage one. And I say that in a positive light, because if I didn't have that quick turnaround, if my friend's mom didn't kind of give me the guidance and connect me to the right people, then it would have been a much different story, I believe. And, and if I remember correctly, it was rather serendipitous that you were even at home during that time. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, after I graduated from college, I lived in Charlotte, North Carolina, and this was around, I guess we'll say November of 2017, I ended up moving home for another job opportunity in New York City and was kind of waffling on that decision because I taught down there as a kindergarten teacher and then moving back to New York, it would have been a totally different job, but a company I worked for in college. And it really did work out to the point where it happened that summer solely because I think that if I was still down in North Carolina, I I probably wouldn't have gone to the doctor as soon as I would have, because everybody knows going to a doctor is such a process, but having the people around me that kind of advocated and, you know, pointed out what I thought was just like too much food was more than that. So I don't, if I didn't live at home, who knows where I would be now. And really, when you think about it at 23, you're not really thinking, oh, I, I, my stomach issues are a cancer. That's not something that's going to completely connect for you. I don't think it's been a long time since I've been 23, but I don't think I would have, I would have thought that thought that either. So um, these ladies who are on my podcast are, it's a very close knit group of sisters here. What's going on in your heads? I don't, Michaela, you want to, while you're hearing this. Sure. So I just remember Morgan, you know, the day Marguerite had surgery, Morgan and I went over there early in the morning to kind of see her off before surgery. She was in a lot of pain. So we were 
kind of thinking to ourselves, okay, what's going on? She doesn't feel good. She doesn't look good. She's going to go into this surgery. We don't know how long it's going to take. And uh, we're waiting in the hospital at Winthrop and it's been, you know, a couple hours, a couple more hours. And we finally get a call from the doctor, you know, and we're all just sitting there waiting because initially they were going to go in and do the, like Marguerite said in the the laparoscopic in the belly button and they had to call to really get permission to do the next part of the surgery if they did have to do the bikini cut and the doctor did call i happened to answer the phone because my mom was you know in, in very nervous um as she as we all were but uh, you know especially being a mom and you know the doctor said okay it is cancer we're gonna do the belly the bikini cut and you know, I, we, I relayed the message and everyone kind of had a moment of, okay, like this is real. This is what's going on. And, you know, thankfully Marguerite had a very successful surgery, like she said, but there was, there was definitely a lot of heightened anxiety as we were sitting in that waiting room because she didn't get back up uh, to the room. You know, Marguerite probably was in, you know, la la land with all the medications that she was on, but all of us were just sitting there, you know, with our fingernails in the couch, trying to you know, see when she was going to be out of surgery. So we finally did see her about four o'clock that afternoon. And I just remember going up there and she was like, is it over? <laughs> and, uh, that, Mark, you have, you, you have a good line that you said that, you, uh, when, you know, you found out and you were like, oh no, okay, I'm going to go back to sleep now. <laughs> so, yeah. I remember being like post-surgery, the you get like your ginger ale and your saltines and everything. So you're living on cloud nine and the doctor was like, okay, your family wants to come in to see you. And I was like, you know, they're nice people, but maybe <laughs> not right now because I was so tired. And like, I knew I would have to talk to them because the doctor was like, okay, I want to let you know it's cancer. I was like, okay, that sounds good. I'm going to, and then like Mikhail said, I was like, I'm going to go back to sleep. Like, I don't know what day it is. I didn't even know it was four o'clock. We got up at 6am to do this whole thing. I thought it could have been noon. So I was very much out of it. They definitely, they, I recently had eye surgery and I came out of that and I was on cloud nine. I felt so good because they had given me so, so many drugs and God knows, God knows, God knows what. And now you're already working now, but um, because Michaela is the oldest in this little crew here for all these M's to keep track for those listening. (laughs) Morgan, you were still in college, weren't you? Yes. I was actually, I had knee surgery the week before and of course, I thought that I was the spotlight one, getting all the attention, but that was not the case. Um, and I remember talking to Marguerite, because as Michaela said, we went and saw her the day before, just because uh, this is when she was um, checked into the hospital and all that. And I kind of looked at her, and me and Marguerite have a very um, sarcastic, close relationship. I asked, I said, do I have to wake up for this tomorrow? She's like, no, that's fine. I'll be, I'll be home by one. I was like, great. That sounds good to me. And then shortly thereafter, my dad kind of came back. Like, uh, I think you need to go to the hospital now. It's like, okay, I'm on my way. Let's go. <laughs> and as we're kind of all sitting in the reader, like Michaela says, uh, we don't know what's going on. And I think my dad came back. He had gone on a walk or something and just came back with about seven days worth of the New York Times crossword puzzle. He's like, keep yourself occupied. And I think all of our minds were racing that, that was something that we did definitely pass the time and try and distract ourselves. But um, it was, yeah, I, I we were all just sitting there like starving because of course we didn't have 
no one had a really an appetite to go and get food or anything like that. Just kind of all looking at each other, just waiting for that phone call. And, um, and, and Morgan always has food on her mind. So let's just, let's always. just put that out there. <laughs> <laughs> always. And at the same time too, the, the surgery just keeps going on. And I'm still thinking, and this is obviously before Michaela got the phone call. I'm like, it's just, just going to the belly button. What's taking so long? Cause we can't go and get food or lunch or anything until we get this phone call. So where is it? Let's speed it up a little bit. We definitely made the process feel a lot longer. Obviously, still very concerned about Marguerite mm-hmm. the entire time. And I, I have to just so for our listeners know, um, humor is definitely something that runs <laughs> in the genes in this family. <laughs> So um, h- how did that help you? Does it, d- I mean, it, I know it helps me. I'm, I'm the same way. If w- The world could be falling in and the walls crashing in around me and I will be making jokes through it, not to minimize it, but that's kind of how I get through. Yeah, I think for us through like my time period and Michaela's as well, um, obviously we were going through a lot and the topic of cancer is very heavy, but I think that anything that our family has ever faced, like we'll add a line in that's probably maybe not the most appropriate for the setting, um, given the situation, but allows us to kind of have that moment of relief. And I, I, feel like it's grounding to like be sarcastic in those moments because I think it also Mm -hmm. helps put things into perspective like yeah the situation is unfortunate but it's also not the end of the world and I think that kind of at least for me allowed me to still be in like the reality of normalcy versus letting um whatever I was going through overcome me but you still had to go through chemo yes and you were writing. Marguerite is also a wonderful writer. Um, I followed all of her blogs and you were writing through this. In fact, there is one um, point in one of those blogs where you talk about um, the subject of freezing your eggs and Mm -hmm. what your father said. (laughs) Oh yeah. That was, that was a great one because so beforehand um, we had a, had a conversation with my oncologist who was like, that's an option if you want to do that. And I was like, I no, like I'm 23 years old. I don't want small children. Um, and then I remember uh, when she brought it up during that first doctor's appointment, during the first time we ever met her when I was with my parents, she's like, okay, well, this is an option. She's like, why would she do that? She doesn't even have a boyfriend. I was like, cool, dad. Thanks for just telling <laughs> random strangers that I was single at the time. I was like, this is really great self-esteem boost after we just figured out it might be cancer. Um, but I did end up doing that. So after the surgery, um, probably, a, cause I was in the hospital for three days after, cause you have to like wait until you can kind of function as a normal human being, uh, to a degree. And then I got home and then I want to say probably a week later, we met with the fertility specialist also at NYU that, um, was in the same building as my oncologist. And she, um, was there with my mom and we kind of just went through the whole process and, I started probably a week later and would definitely say I was the youngest person there going in for my shots. Um, at the time after surgery, since I had that like low cut to it, a lot of people usually inject themselves with the fertility drugs in their abdomen. Um, but I couldn't do that because I still was wearing a brace around it. I was also, um, injecting like blood thinners into my thighs. So I couldn't like inject the drugs into my thighs. So 
Unfortunately for my mom, fortunately for me, she had to be the one that injected me with the steroids in the back of my arm. Um, and I think when she figured that out, she was like uh, as pale as a ghost because no one wants to basically stab their child with a shot that was obviously purposeful and, you know, good in the long run. So that was uh, an opportunity that definitely brought us closer together. But I was fortunate enough to only have to do one um, treatment of that. So it was probably two and a half weeks long of daily blood work, daily injections. And then you just kind of go in and they check you, see how your eggs are fertilizing. I remember one time, one of the, um, one of the nurses was like, Oh, like, why are you here? The follicles, the follicles, the woman was like, why are you here? Not in a, a judgmental way, but being like, you are young. So you, you probably are fine. Um, and I was like, Oh, well, you know, I just, I just have, to go into chemotherapy. Like I just had cancer. Like I don't have a right ovary or fallopian tube. So like, we're just doing it as a precautionary thing. And it's kind of moments where you step your foot into it and you really wish that you hadn't asked a question. Um, <laughs> and I like the look on the poor girl's face was like, okay, I'm just not going to talk to you for the rest of the time where I check you out. Um, but yeah, it was, I ended up getting, um, they removed 33 eggs and froze 22, which is obviously a large number, but due to my age, it was helpful. Um, and they said kind of around 10 to 12, if you have that, then you don't need to do a second cycle. And obviously I had more than that. So I didn't have to go through a whole other treatment of it, which was fortunate because, a week later, I was starting my chemotherapy. So it kind of all fell in line. But the bloating during that time, like if I thought before cancer, I had a baseball or like a watermelon in my belly during the injections, it kind of takes you to a whole nother level. And how long before you got your, because you do have a clean bill of health. Was that before or after cancer strikes twice in the family? So that was before. So I, my, I guess, whole process was from the end of July of 2018. And then my last um, chemotherapy appointment was like November 21st, 22nd, 23rd, one of those dates. Um, and so that's kind of how I finished up. And then by, we were doing three months, three month checkup. So in theory, it was kind of like that next checkup when they made sure that it hadn't come back was um, in a way, the clean bill of health, like the last cancer or the last chemotherapy, they kind of rolled as that, like, you're good to go. Your numbers are low enough. Like we don't predict it's going to come back. Everything looks good. Um, and then it was that May, right, Michaela? Yes, May. Yeah. So, I mean, a, a few short months after, um, it kind of all switched gears to her. And then what happened, Michaela? So in December of 2018, I turned 26. So I had to go on my own health insurance, uh, dun, 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 becoming a real <laughs> adult, having your own insurance. So, you know, obviously after everything that Marguerite had been to, I was kind of checking the box of going to get a physical, going to my uh, OBGYN to get my annual checkup and just making sure that I was healthy, clean bill of health and everything like that. So I had a physical blood look, looked great, no cholesterol, great heart rate, you know, blood pressure, all those good things that you want to hear. And I went in for my annual 
gynecology checkup and the, I had felt this lump underneath my arm a few weeks earlier in the shower, but I didn't really think anything of it. I had been working out a lot. I, so I thought I, you know, pulled a muscle or something and, you know, being a former college athlete, I was kind of thinking, oh, it's nothing. I'm sure it'll be fine. If it's still there in a couple of weeks, you know, I have my appointment, I'll say something and really not thinking anything about breast or breast cancer because it was, you know, very far underneath in my mind, my arm. And in hindsight, it, it was not that far underneath my arm. Um, and so I went in for my checkup. They do all of the scan, the, you know, the normal breast exam. And my doctor, Dr. Putterman at Northwell Health said, you know, I don't, this, I'm sure it's nothing, but you might as well go get this checked out. So, you know, me, I don't say anything to anybody because she says, I think it's fine. So I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm fine. It's going to be fine. So I went in to the city and I had, they set me up for an ultrasound. So I had an ultrasound and, you know, me super type A told my boss and partner at work, I'm going to be off for an hour. I have to go get a quick scan. I'm sure it's nothing. I'll be back. So I get there and obviously I was at the beginning of this process. So didn't understand how long things take when it comes to, doctor's appointments and all of those things. So I'm sitting there, you know, and I keep walking up to the desk asking them, okay, when is it going to be my turn? And uh, throughout this patience, I think has definitely been one of my, my newfound skills. Um, <laughs> I'm still working and, on that. <laughs> yes. Yes. So I go in before you leave, they tell you whether or not you need to come back for a biopsy. So I do the scan. I'm waiting in the waiting room. I didn't even bring a purse. I, I had a, I had my wallet and my cell phone. I was, I was going in and out. It was going to be a quick thing. So I'm waiting in the waiting room and I got the, the radiologist comes in and says, we want to bring you back for a biopsy. And then of course the sirens are going off in my head. Like this is, this is not good. This is bad. I don't, I shouldn't have to get a biopsy. They should tell me nothing wrong. And so I asked the guy, I said, okay, when's the next time you can get me in? He said, oh, I actually had a cancellation. I can take you right now. So I said, okay, great. I called my boss. I said, I'm not going to be back. And I was supposed to go out and meet clients that night. So I obviously canceled that outing. So they do the biopsy and I'm sitting there waiting. You know, they, you change, they give you an ice pack. And it, the guy did a really, really good job. I, I, I forget what the doctor's name is, but I, after the scan, I was sitting there and I said, listen, I know you're not supposed to tell me this, but my sister literally last November just finished chemotherapy treatments. Is this something that I should be worried about? Do I need to tell somebody that I just had this scan? And he said, I would be a little worried. So then of course, in my mind, I'm oh, like, wow. oh my goodness. So, you know, and I'm talking to the nurse and I was this is so sad, but I was like, do you think I'm going to be able to play golf this weekend? My family's <laughs> playing golf. I want to play. Oh so goodness. when I went home on Friday night, I had told them that I went and had the, the biopsy. I'm fine. It's going to be fine. You know, and then of course, for the next several days until the doctor called me back, I called Northwell every 20 minutes to find out what the results of the biopsy was. And the nurse uh, who was there with me that day, um, you know, connected me with the doctor on Monday afternoon, May 20th. So Marguerite was August 20th. I was May 20th, Jeez. something with the, with the 20th. <laughs> I don't know. And they called to confirm that it was cancer. It was invasive ductal carcinoma. Uh, they 
couldn't really tell more than that because there was a lot of additional testing that needed to be done before staging or what type of surgery. So after that point, I immediately got on the phone and set myself up with some appointments at Sloan Kettering and Cornell. And I had actually, when Marguerite was going through her process, found a connection at MSK through Morgan Stanley and just went through that same channels and had reached out to the same contact there. So I was able to get in to see my future surgeon, Dr. Gemignani on June 6th and then had surgery on July 1st. So in the interim of all of that, there was a ton of tests that needed to be done. So obviously since Marguerite had just gone through this process, we had to see whether or not it was genetic Thankfully, it wasn't. So we we didn't have BRCA1 or BRCA2 or TP53 or TPC. I forget what the gene is, which is the childhood cancer gene, which they thought could have been the reason why we both had, you know, women's cancers. It happened to not be that. So it was really just a fluke that we both had these two, you know, mine, the most common kind of breast cancer and Marguerite's a, a more rare ovarian cancer. And so after that process, then they kind of walk you through what you have to decide for surgery. So I was given three options, a double mastectomy, a single mastectomy, or a lumpectomy and radiation. So through that process and having conversations with doctors and a lot of incredible women who had been through breast cancer and reconstruction and meeting with the plastic surgeon and all of those things, the best option and route for me happened to be having a lumpectomy and radiation. So they went in, you know, right underneath my arm. I really only have a very small scar and they were able to remove the tumor. And um, I went to a fantastic surgery center uh, at Sloan Kettering and I was in and out of the hospital on the same day. I think I went in for surgery at noon. I was out by one o'clock and I was on my way home by 3.30. So it was definitely a little bit different of a surgery process for Marguerite's. Um, and, you know, I was out walking around the next day. I could lift my arm up, which I was really excited about. And so I took the next couple of weeks to recover. And I also did egg freezing like Marguerite did. So I actually did my egg freezing at Columbia Fertility in the city because I was still working at the time. And, you know, then after that, I had decided to take a leave of absence from work at Morgan Stanley. So I was on short-term disability for six months, which was, I was extremely thankful for. So they suggested freezing your eggs, even though you, your cancer was not ovarian cancer, it was breast cancer. Yeah. So the reason they, they suggest the egg freezing is, uh, was because of the chemotherapy. So I did end up having to do chemotherapy and they said, and, and in Marguerite's case as well, they tell you that you still will potentially be able to conceive naturally. This was more just a, just in case safety net, God forbid it, you know, you aren't able to, you have this security blanket of having frozen eggs. So I went through the same process as, as Marguerite did. I did the injections in my, my abdomen instead of my, in the back of my arm, which was definitely kind of trippy giving yourself injections uh, for all of those who do that on a regular basis for diabetes or any other thing. So you have to do that. I give you props because it was a total mind bender for me. <laughs> and I, 
ended up, uh, they extracted 20 uh, follicles and I was able to freeze 12 eggs. So we have, you know, 32 Rick Squirrel eggs frozen uh, <laughs> that we have in, in, in safekeeping. And then, so after that, I started chemotherapy. So I did eight rounds of CMF, which is, so they were, they gave me two options. One was really hard on your hair and one was really hard on your fertility. And I said, okay, as long as the hair grows back, that's fine. And, um, you know, Margarita, I, think I, I feel like I would like to interject with the hair yeah. comment. You were, a, that was one of the things you were like, I would like to keep my hair. I lost my hair during oh. chemo and Mikhail was like, do whatever you got to do, but this hair needs to stay on my head. So <laughs> it, it definitely yes. did, but I knew that was something that was super important to you. Oh, no, no, no. It's, it's very important. Very <laughs> important. Let me, let me just I mean, your hair looks too. great now, but <laughs> Thank you. You you all can't see it on the podcast, but I did just blow my hair out this morning. So, <laughs> but when when uh, so my uh, medical oncologist at Sloan was Dr. Sherry Goldfarb, um, and she's amazing. She's got an incredible team. But she gave me two options. She said, you know, hard on the hair, hard on the fertility. But the one that was hard on your hair was shorter. So I would be done with chemotherapy in October. Uh, so I was like, okay, let me just get this done with as fast as possible. And I also did the cold cap, which is this technology where you wear basically a giant ice pack on your head 30 minutes before your treatment, 30 minutes throughout your entire treatment and up to 90 minutes after that is supposed to freeze your hair follicles so that your hair doesn't fall out during chemotherapy. So I was like, we'll do that. We'll try that. You know, that'll be the best thing. And Unfortunately, I had an allergic reaction to the first the first um, regimen of chemotherapy during my first treatment, which was which was quite frightening. I went into anaphylactic shock, and oh, they wow. had to they had to just give me Benadryl, and it was it was quite scary. But so then quickly we changed over to CMF, which was the regimen that was harder on the fertility, but was a little bit longer. So instead of four treatments every three weeks, I did eight treatments every two weeks. So I finished chemotherapy in December of 2019. And then I still had 20 radiation treatments that I did at Sloan as well. Uh, for the month of January in 2020, my last treatment was actually January 31st. And then the pandemic happened. So <laughs> it was very good timing. <laughs> I was just going to say, thank goodness you finished before the pandemic hit in because getting into a hospital was certainly not an easy thing. Um, so Morgan, you got two sisters. What are you thinking through all of this? I mean, I'm a I'm I borderline on total hypochondria, so I <laughs> I can't even think of how many tests I would be I would be getting. But um, what? How did you react? So I think just going back to the humor front that we were talking about before, um, when Mikhail was actually diagnosed and she learned that she had breast cancer, it was around the same time as my college graduation. And Mikhail, being the great big sister that she is. And so everyone decided to keep it a secret for me and um, oh. just to enjoy, enjoy the weekend. And for some reason, um, my mom just kept crying at all these events and everything. And I was like, man, mom, you really got to lock it up. You got to <laughs> keep it together. I'm, I'm coming back to New York, but obviously knowing that <clears throat> she's crying for other reasons. But so we were all supposed to go on a family trip to Italy as my graduation gift shortly thereafter. Like, 
two or three days when I was supposed to get back. And then I was going to meet my friends for a small, I started like, so, but I remember this vividly and I had come back and I was at home. Um, and Michaela, it was, I guess it was a Saturday morning, right? Mick. And she kind of like came in the room, but I still call my room and kind of like poked her head in. She was like, hi, like what's going on? Like I, I was like, no, you need, you need to, you need to wake up cause it's noon and I need to talk to you. I have to leave. Uh, we don't need to bring the time into this. It doesn't matter what time it was, but so I've been home for one or two days. Nothing is packed. Nothing. No one is packed. And our family is very much like we're going somewhere. It's all going to be like, we're going to cross our teeth and bat our eyes. And so all of a sudden, like, oh, this is kind of weird, but listen, if they're not packed, I'm not going to pack. So then that's where Michaela pokes her head in. She's like, I have to talk to you. And I'm like, oh God, who died? And she's like, no, I, I actually have breast cancer. And my first reaction, obviously heart sinks to my stomach, but then my brain kind of kicks in. And my first question is, is this why no one's packed for Italy? <laughs> and, and she kind of, and I, that did get a chuckle out of her. And she's like, yes, that's why no one is packed for Italy. And I was like, Oh, that makes so much more sense. And then I start bawling my eyes out. <laughs> but I just needed something to um, cut the tension a little yeah. bit and just, I guess, like <laughs> bring us back to reality. Because in my head, I'm just thinking this has to be a joke. I mean, we just went through this and I was a senior in college at the time. And so I'm kind of traveling back and forth. Um, I racked up a lot of Amtrak points and I'm traveling back and forth being with Marguerite at, um, I think I was at two out of three of her chemotherapy appointments. And luckily, I guess for this go about, I was going to be in New York because I was starting my job at Morgan Stanley um, that coming July. But I'm just thinking like, can't we just get a break? Can't we just enjoy a nice year? Just the three <laughs> of us now all back in the same state. And it was definitely kind of like they both mentioned, it was a shock to the system and it mm -hmm. kind of, I didn't really believe it at first. And I think I when and Michaela had wanted to, she didn't want to draw attention to it. She wanted to kind of like not tell anybody. And I'm thinking to myself, well, that's great. But now <laughs> I have two sisters that just had cancer. I, I need to tell someone and I can't tell you guys, you already know. <laughs> so then I was eventually when I was um, speaking to my friends and I had reached out to one of my friends whose family has uh, dealt with cancer battles as well. She's like, you're joking, Morgan. This is not a funny joke because, of course, we make our dark jokes and our dark humor. And I'm like, nope, well, this time I'm actually not joking. And I think it was to a lot of people's disbelief just until, I mean, to this day, obviously, it's when people hear it for the first time, they're like, no, no, which sister was it? I go, no, no, it was both. <laughs> both sisters. Like, and it was like, wait, I'm sorry, like the two of them had kids? I'm like, yeah. And they're like, well, what about you? And I was like, I don't know. I'm still here. Uh, <laughs> we were just, we we're just saying our prayers every night. And, um, but it was definitely, I think, um, we've always been close growing up. The three of us, um, kind of like you had mentioned were the three M's and, um, it definitely brought us a lot closer and made me not that I don't always appreciate everything that they do for their baby sister. Um, but it made me appreciate them a lot more, just kind of seeing how strong the both of them were to be able to go through their 
separate battles and to handle it with such grace and such confidence. And it was truly, honestly, inspiring. And you guys just can't repeat this, even though it's on a podcast and it's documented. <laughs> but um, it really was, it, they are two unbelievable, incredible human beings. And I'm really proud to be their sister. And just to, of course, have them both in my life. I don't know what I would do or where I would be without them. All right, you can have us all crying now, Morgan. Yes, seriously, I'm so glad this is recorded. I know, I'm I'm, I'm getting a little little verklempt over here. So, um, I never said that. (laughs) We're not cutting that part out for sure, I'm telling you right right now. So when does this idea come up for We Fight Like Girls? I mean, you're all have, you're all young and you're just starting your careers and you decide that you're going to start a nonprofit um, and do this in your spare time. Yeah. So I would say like the beginning of it, really like the seed was formed when I was first sick. Mikhail and I were both training for the New York City Marathon in 2018. Um, Honestly, good thing I didn't have to run it because I don't know if I could do it as fast as she did it. But through that, um, since I couldn't run it come November, she actually had a kind of like to put her effort forward and to make uh, lemonade out of lemons. She raised money for, um, what was it? The ovarian cancer society, the national ovarian cancer coalition. Okay. It has a lot of C's in there. Um, so (laughs) she made shirts, um, that family and friends in New York, around the United States kind of bought in honor of like me not running. Um, so Michaela kind of ran, I don't want to say you ran for me, you ran for yourself, but you ran for the cause. Um, so I feel like that was the first kind of catalyst of like, we could do good from a not great situation. And then it kind of switched when Michaela got sick. Cause I felt like I, needed to kind of pay it forward and return the favor because she was the one who like took the initiative to think of something like that. Like without Mm -hmm. Michaela doing it, I would probably have been like, okay, like go you, you've got this. Um, (laughs) But I was an instructor while I still am an instructor at um, the local pure bar in Garden City. So we did um, donation classes when she was kind of going um, through her experience to raise money for um, breast cancer research. So that was kind of the flip of the switch where we both started with our own battles. The other one kind of putting um, the effort into make something happen where we could kind of take a bad situation to a good one. But I know that Michaela, do you want to speak on like your kind of blurbs that you would send out? Cause I feel like that's where the name stemmed from. So when I was going through treatment, instead of doing a blog post, I would send a email to family, friends, and coworkers after all of my chemotherapies that was titled fight like a girl treatment number or whatever number it was. And with a picture, I had celebrity guests, which was pretty fun. And it it wasn't really a celebrity guest, but it was more of my way of saying thank you to the people who came to my treatments. And the, the way that I thought of fight like a girl was there's this really old Super Bowl commercial that they had a video of girls, what it that asked, they had asked them what it meant for them to fight. And the girls were there punching and running really fast and really showing passion and energy and 
positivity towards what they were doing. And that kind of, to me, was kind of the way that I was thinking about this. You know, obviously (laughs) what it means to fight like a girl, some people think it's like a silly little fight or a slap, but it really is, you know, putting a lot of heart, energy and effort into it, which, you know, going through any kind of battle is difficult, but especially when battling cancer. It's it's funny that you mentioned that though, because that commercial, it's always. And why do I know that? Because I <laughs> use it. <laughs> I use it in one of my classes that I teach at NYU to talk about good content and something that's really emotionally connects people. So clearly they're continuing to do a good job with that. So yeah, it was it was a good one. So then we went through the logistics. Marguerite got some really awesome hats made and masks and all this stuff. And we were going through the process with a company and for copywriting purposes, fight like a girl wasn't available. So then we tried all of these other things and we fight like girls was the option. And we thought, okay, this is perfect because it's, we, we both are fighting and we collectively are all fighting. Um, you know, obviously in that immediate instance, it was for, for breast cancer awareness, but you know, we continue to fight, for everyone else who has gone through cancer. So that's kind of how We Fight Like Girls got started. We raised over $10,000 for the through the Peer Bar fundraiser. And then, so that was 2019. And then in 2020, obviously, we're in a global pandemic and we can't physically be together, but we wanted to do something to continue to raise awareness about, uh, you know, going and going to the doctor, getting checked, making sure that you're being diligent and really kind of started to grow. We fight like girls. So we did a virtual slash in-person run walk in Long Beach, New York, where Marguerite and I both live. And we raised over $65,000 for Memorial Sloan Kettering breast cancer research and the foundation for women's cancer. So it was an extremely successful fundraiser. We're extremely grateful for, you know, everyone who came out and supported us in person and virtually. So then from there we said, okay, clearly there's a, an appetite for people to talk about and, or raise awareness for this cause in particular, because Marguerite and I are so young and Mm -hmm. we are definitely out of the norm for breast and ovarian cancer patients because the average age for, you know, both breast and ovarian cancer is 60 to 65 years old. So we are very much the outliers and throughout our treatment processes, we had spoken to so many incredible women who had gone through their respective cancer battles you know, in, in various different age groups or stages of their lives. But there were very few people that we spoke to who were in their 20s at the beginning of their careers, kind of just figuring out what it means to be adult, an adult. How do you navigate insurance? What do you tell your boss? That How do you tell your peers who are, you know, everybody's young in their 20s. You're supposed to be going out and having fun at the bar, but you're going to the hospital, have chemo. So it's definitely a, a challenging time of life. And you have, you know, Marguerite didn't have a boyfriend at the time, but I had a boyfriend. Thanks. I feel like this has been said multiple times. <laughs> no, I, I said at the time, at the time, you now do have a boyfriend, but 
you know, how do you, how do you tell your significant other who you're dating, who you're not engaged to, you're not married? Hey, I have cancer, not sure what's going to happen. Where do we go with all of that stuff? And, you know, through this process and, and post our cancers through us sharing our stories on social media and Marguerite's blog on our website, we have been connected to some incredible women who are, you know, currently going through their fight or have, who have already beaten their cancers and share their stories and they're, they're now sharing and being connected to all of these other people to continue to raise awareness so that you do go and get a doctor's appointment. Or if something is wrong, you go into the doctor and get it checked because the longer, if something is not right, the longer you wait, the, if it is, it does happen to be cancer, the scenario just could potentially be worse. And obviously the earlier you go in and you get things checked, you know, fortunately, both of our cancers were stage one. So our, obviously our, our treatment processes were arduous, but they were the best case scenario for the worst, the best of the worst case scenarios. Do you think that you would have gone in to have your, your, that lump checked under your arm if it hadn't as quickly, if you hadn't just gone through this? No, definitely not. I was, I was so busy. I was at work. I was meeting clients. I was traveling all over the place, you know, on weekend trips. I would have just, I would have put it off to the back burner because, you know, I'm, I'm young. Why would I ever think, oh, I have breast cancer. I'm 26 years old. So definitely, you know, having Marguerite already have gone through this, you know, raised that I had a heightened sense of, okay, let me just go get this taken care of and checked out. And I think one thing I just want to make sure the people who are listening know is that all three of them, fortunately, Morgan has not gone through this. These are really healthy young women who have Mm -hmm. been very athletic from at least the time I've known you, which has been pretty much most of your whole lives. But um, that this, so that it's also, I think there's that thing when you're young and you're healthy, oh, no, this isn't going to happen to me. Mm-hmm. And it's easier to push that aside. Yeah, I think that's definitely the case. And I know that in, for like the We Fight Like Girls, obviously it's a coalition that like raises money for um the advancement of research, but it's also the awareness of it. Like Mikhail said, we were young. We, I don't want to use the word ignorant because we weren't like cancer had touched our lives beforehand in different capacities, whether within our immediate family or outside of it, but you never really think it's going to happen to you until it does happen to you. So it was just, um, world ovarian cancer day. And they really like spoke about the awareness of it. And it's don't, like, I feel like if the one thing I could say is like, don't wait, don't just think it's nothing, even if it's just something small, because you don't know how fast it could happen. And then next thing you know, it's stage four instead of stage one. And for us that were so young, I think that it's even more important to be on top of it because granted these were just flukes, but it, like you said, in the beginning, lightning struck twice in a few months apart and it's rare, but it happened. And I think we're better for it now on the outside of it, but going through it, you never want to wish this on anybody. So I, I feel like my emphasis is on that awareness because I know I wouldn't be where I am now without going when I went. So what do you think you all learned from this? I'm going to start with Morgan. 
because she's been quiet over there. Pressure. I don't. I don't. I don't want to ignore <laughs> the youngest in the family. It's okay. I'm used to it. Attention makes me very uncomfortable. Oh, really? <laughs> um, That's not very Rick's like, as far as I'm concerned. Oh, I was going to say, Morgan and I were like, we would go to the back shadows of a location and just talk to ourselves the entire time. <laughs> we're good. <laughs> um, I think obviously they have taken away obviously different experiences from this because they're the two that actually battled and beat cancer. But I think not to pat myself in the back or anybody else, but it's for anyone who is a spouse of someone, I think about my mom dealing with obviously her husband who had uh, battled and beat cancer a um, long time ago. Don't forget about dad. And um, even now her daughters, it's obviously every parent's worst nightmare, but a spouse or a sibling or just like a friend and just having someone to be able to talk to it about, whether it be, like an outsider or someone outside of your close circle, a colleague, a coach, or really anybody, depending on what setting or part of your life you're in. I think that was probably the most important thing for me because obviously I don't want to borrow, bother Michaela, Marguerite, or my mom or my dad with how I'm feeling or how I'm struggling and dealing with this because kind of like they were both saying, um, Every time I get a headache, I'm, and this goes back to the dark humor, but I'm like, oh, man, it's that darn, that darn brain tumor again. And people are like, Morgan, like, you know, like, I, I need my friends that can take my jokes and that will let me say what I have to say and just kind of get it out and deal with it the way that is best for you. And I think that's really not saved me, but definitely helped me keep my sanity and kept kind of those fears and everything it helped me manage everything that was happening within the past year. And that's what I think like my biggest takeaway was is your family is your family, but having a support system outside of that, when something does hit the fan or kind of rocks your family's world is extremely important. Just kind of having a sounding board to be able to get your thoughts and your fears and everything out, I think was one of the best things that I kind of learned through this whole process. Yeah, I think this, I, I couldn't agree with you more, but I think, and I, you write about that. There's a lot of that on, on your website about the support system that's in there and um, and being able to speak about it the way you're sharing stories. Um, what about you, Michaela? What it, what, how does this change you? I, I'll echo a little bit what Morgan said about having the support system. And obviously we were so thankful to have incredible family and friends for help, but also seeking, you know, help outside of that. I did see a therapist at Sloan Kettering and worked with a social worker. So that was something for me, you know, I'll steal this line from she is the man, a third party outsider with absolutely no interest in the matter who oh, could really, really just... <laughs> who could really just listen to what I had to say and what I was going through specifically and be on my side and kind of hear what I was thinking about and then give me another way or another perspective to look at it. And the other thing that I, I think about all the time, I'm so incredibly grateful to my doctors and the nurses. The nurses are amazing people because obviously the doctors are the ones who are saving your lives, but the nurses are the ones who are distributing the treatment and you spend a lot of time with them. And, you know, chemo is not a, a fun process and it's definitely very taxing, but I was very fortunate to have incredible nurses who took care of me throughout my time. 
And the other thing is to stay positive and, you know, have a lot of patience, like I mentioned earlier, but you know, those two things, because without a, a positive mindset, you can really go into a, a deep, dark hole of, you know, what your mind is thinking. And if you just kind of continue to push through and that it is, it can be extremely challenging at times, you know, if you stay positive, go on to the next treatment, the next thing, you know, there is light at the end of the tunnel when you, when you do go so, through something like this. And not, not you're in the middle, but you're going to go last. <laughs> I don't know how to follow both of those things up. They just put it so eloquently. There you go. Um, I think for me, what I took away from it was I definitely personally, I feel like I found a new sense of confidence within myself. Like if I could get through chemotherapy and cancer, like I could do anything that I seriously (laughs) put my mind through. Um, so that was like, a, I feel like as a person, I grew so much to become a version of, not like a version, I didn't like my, it's not like I didn't like myself beforehand, but I became this like new version of myself who I knew that I could do hard things and I knew I was a resilient person. So I think I had personal growth and then also... Thank God my parents are not on this podcast because they would be like, Margaret, you were the daughter in high school that were like, she's going to give us a run for our money. I was, you know, had a lovely banter slash attitude with them. But I don't think I ever appreciated my family more uh, during this time. Um, Morgan doesn't give herself enough credit, I don't think, for really being the unsung hero of certain things. Like she'll talk about moments that happen. And I was like, I must have been on a lot of drugs because I don't remember you bleeding me to the bathroom at 4 a.m. that first night that I came home. Um, And I uh, my mom's probably not going to believe when I say this, but like I aspire to be her one day. The fact that she dealt with it all with myself, with Michaela. I remember when Michaela was going through it, she was crying. And I was like, you've got to get it together. I'm like, (laughs) you were fine when I was sick. And Michaela was like, no, she was a basket case, but I had to deal with it instead of you. So (laughs) I think it really goes back to that support and finding, it doesn't need to be a big group of people. You don't need to have uh, thousands of people coming out of the woodwork, but the people that are going to lift you up when you're down or just keep you sane and keep you um, grounded in your experiences is I think insurmountable. And I don't know through this whole experience through like when I see people wearing the, we fight like girls thing now, it gives me such a chill because of what it stands for. And it really is that we effort and like guys are great, but like females, we could do like some really, really tough things and come out on the other side, like stronger because of it. And I think that having that, we fight like girls, like kind of that mantra in the back of our minds really has created a bigger meaning than I ever could have thought of, um, starting this. And I think that if that is the thing that comes out of it and that changes, um, one person's life, then our experiences are worth it in my mind. Wow. Okay. So you have your second annual run walk. Is it Mm -hmm. virtual again? And this is in Long Beach. Tell us the, tell us about it, how people can sign up and if they can't make it certainly how they can donate. (laughs) Definitely. So we, you can visit our website, www.wefightlikegirls.com. You can also follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. 
All of the information is on our website. Our walk will be taking place October 16th, 2021 in Long Beach on the Long Beach Boardwalk. So you can visit our website to sign up, purchase gear, um, you can walk virtually or in person, which I think is really awesome. We kind of took that virtual aspect of last year and kind of built on it. So if you are able to join us in Long Beach, we'd love to have you. We're going to have music and pom-poms and a lot of fun stuff going on that morning. But if you are able to participate in your neighborhood, we're just asking for you to get out, be active, go for a walk, go for a run, and then tag us on on whatever social media channel you have to show your support for We Fight Like Girls. So this year, we also um, have a group of women who are running the New York City Marathon in support of We Fight Like Girls for Fred's team. So there are efforts so far, we've raised $35,000. So we're hoping to get back to that 65,000 plus number this year. So uh, again, like we mentioned earlier, we're so incredibly grateful for your support. And, you know, with without the people who support us, we wouldn't be able to try and help to make a difference in these diseases. Wow. 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 Yes. People donate, 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 get to that. I was going to ask you what goal you had for this year. And you already, you already told me that part. Um, what's the vision? One last question. What's the vision for the nonprofit long-term or have you thought long-term on this? We're still in the process of figuring it out. I think we are really, this is a very grassroots a nonprofit organization. It's Margaret Morgan and myself who are really the the ringleaders here. And we have, you know, some incredible volunteers who have helped us throughout the last couple of years. And I think really our goal now is to just continue to spread the word, to tell our story, to let people know what we've been through and that we are here to help and support them because this is not a journey or a battle that anybody should have to go through alone. And we are here to be a resource and to connect people to resources that are available to them, whether it be, you know, at places that we've had been treated or our peers or at other hospitals. So, you know, we're getting the word out. We fight Mm -hmm. like girls is ready to go. And we're excited to walk on October 16th. Okay. And I will have the links to everything in the show notes. Ladies, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Joanne. Thanks so much for listening to Marketing Mindfulness and Martinis. If you liked what you heard, please share with your friends. Give us a rating on iTunes or Spotify so other people can find us and hit the subscribe button so you never miss an episode. If you've got a question you'd like answered or a topic you'd like me to cover, please drop me a note. Info at joannetombrakis.com. And until next time, remember, whatever got you to where you are isn't enough to keep you there.